signal? No signal. This one off again. Welcome. Welcome to the Wellness at Your Home podcast. I'm your host, Vinny Muscatello, here with my co-host, 
Jack, we're Jack, here. Jack, yes, we got some. Oh, thanks, Jack, for taking you. care of that. Of course. So uh, before we get started, just a, a couple cleanup things. Um, remember, we, we are Wellness at Your Home, located at 217 Main Street in Beacon, New York. Uh, we are your one-stop shop for all your wellness needs, saunas, cold plunges, massage chairs, um, and a lot of other fun stuff. This episode is brought to you by Wellness at Your Home, Wellness New England, and Orange County Pools and Spas. So uh, we have a very exciting um, episode tonight. Um, we have uh, one of my favorite people in the entire world, Dr. Rick Huntoon, here with us this evening. Hey, Dr. Rick. Well, thank you. That's I, I didn't know I was one of your favorite people, but I appreciate that. I appreciate uh, our relationship and, and the things I've learned from you and, and the opportunity to always help you as far as your health goes. I really, really appreciate it. And we're going to sort of uh, get into uh, a bunch of different things on how uh, Dr. Rick and I met. And there's sort of a, a connection right at this table with, 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 with all of us. So, you know, for those of you who know me again and have listened to this podcast, our past four episodes and now our fifth, everybody sort of understands that I was, um, you know, after after COVID, I just, you know, in the midst of COVID, I just wasn't feeling well. Um, and uh, Deborah, Jack's mom, um, who's a friend of mine, came to me. She said, Vin, you really have to come. Uh, I want you to go see Dr. Rick. Um, Dr. Rick did uh, helped me out with a lot of issues that I had. And um, coming from uh, Deborah, I was like, you know what? I'm going to give this a try. Those Everybody knows I'm a very straight-out-the-box type of guy. I'm a rule follower. Um, but you know what? The, the stuff that I was doing in my past wasn't working. So um, she's like, you got to go see Dr. Rick. Um, he's a little outside the box from what you would get from seeing something. How, how kind of her to say a little. <laughs> <laughs> a little outside I'm the box. way outside the box. <laughs> <laughs> and um, for those of you, I'll uh, give you a little bit of history on Dr. Rick. Uh, you grew up in Mayapak, right? I Well, my first six years of life, I lived in Mount Vernon, New York, and I was getting into trouble. Uh, kindergarten, first grade, I used to actually cut first grade. Because we used to have to walk to school, and there were days that I would get there, and there were days that I would get distracted and not actually get there. And this was long before the schools would call home and find out why little Johnny wasn't showing up at school or anything like that. So who would know if we showed up at school or didn't show up at school? So I was getting into trouble. Um, you know, I have an older brother and two younger brothers, and my parents were just, like, starting to get overwhelmed by the situation. So we moved up to Mayapak, New York, and... Uh, my parents lived there for, I don't even know the number of years, but I graduated high school, went to college, graduated college, went to chiropractic school. And I believe when I was in chiropractic school, my parents finally moved out of the house that I was raised in. And so, uh, but yeah, I was raised in Mayapak, graduated from Mayapak High School. Uh, I'll, I'll even go as far as saying class of 83. There so, we go. Uh, now, you know, everybody should do some quick math and understand that I'm uh, 58 and a half years old <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, just trying to, to figure out where I fit in life, et cetera. Uh, when I went to college, um, my mom didn't mail my initial payment in on time. So I got scrubbed from their system. So when I showed up for the first day of college, I now had to pick a major, but all the classes I wanted to take were, pretty much full. So I went to basic biology 
And the professor addressed everybody in the class that said, this is basic biology. This is a 101 class. If you have any, any impetus to be a doctor, an engineer, and I stopped lifting, listening after he said, doctor, this is the wrong class for you. You need to go to the next higher level, which was a 151 class. And so spirit, whatever you want to call it, I got up and left the class and went to go find biology 151 so that that was me stepping onto the path of wanting to become a healthcare provider. Um, at the time, I had no idea what type I would end up being. I went through my four years of, of uh, zoology pre-med was my major. Uh, when between my junior and senior year, uh, I was taking my MCATs. I was filling out applications to go to med schools. I was oriented in a direction where I thought I was going to become a cardiothoracic surgeon. And that summer, I hurt my back while painting houses. And I fell off a ladder about 12 to 15 feet up. I was coordinated enough and athletic enough to land on my feet. But being in a state of fear and the, 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 the velocity at which I hit the ground and my muscles absorbing it, the two muscles that are your primary hip flexors, known as your psoas muscles, are tied with your kidneys. Kidneys are related to fear. So those muscles were highly charged. And I landed and bent over, and I was at a 90-degree angle at my hips, and there was nothing I could do to straighten up, which seemed to be okay because I could get in the car and sit and drive from Pleasantville, New York, up to my house in Mayapak. And I got out of the car, and I don't, for the life of me, can't fathom why my dad would have been home that day, but he was home. He says, what's wrong with you? I said, well, I hurt my back at work. He's like, well, why don't you just stay in the car and go see Phil? Now, Phil was the local, he was an applied kinesiologist. He was, he graduated as a chiropractor, but he didn't, and still to this day, has never called himself a chiropractor. Oh. He's always been an applied kinesiologist, and he used, used those techniques in an effort to figure out what was going on. So I'm in this office visit for 50 minutes, and in the 50-minute office visit, he changed my career. Instead of wanting to become a cardiothoracic surgeon, I had an epiphany while I was laying on the table in tremendous amount of pain, sitting there thinking to myself, he's putting me back together. I don't understand what he's doing because he's not explaining what he's doing. I just know that I'm feeling better. What if I went to school where he went to school to learn what he didn't explain to me about how he fixed me so that I could learn that kind of technique. And perhaps I could prevent people from ending up with heart disease, having open heart surgeries due to heart attacks or having stints put in or whatever it is that goes on in cardiothoracic surgery as of today. Um, what if I could prevent all of that by starting at the other end of the spectrum, starting from a place of health, starting from a place of wellness and, and motivating people to seek that as opposed to seeking symptom masking medications mm. that somewhere down the road is going to lead to some kind of surgical intervention. It's, it's fascinating. And, and, you know, your whole journey on how you got to where you, where you are now from, from, you know, growing up and then meeting this, this doctor, this kinesiology guy who was a chiropractor, but never called himself a chiropractor. You go into chiropractic school and then sort of developing 
you know, look, I, I don't have a lot of experience with, um, you know, alternative medicine type of thing, but I think developing a very unique system to how you treat the person. And what Dr. Rick just said there is something that caught me the first time I met you. Um, you know, we talked about, you know, in Western medicine where they're treating the symptom. And what you do is completely different. You said, you know, no, I don't, I'm not going to treat the symptom. We got to figure out what's going on. Yeah, the why the, behind the symptom. The why behind the system. And I can tell everybody from personal experience, you know, I've been to, um, you know, many doctors for my autoimmune that I was having, uh, my back and neck issues that I was having. And there, there, there hasn't been one person that has been able to explain the way the body works and the way things happen as as well or as in detail as you have to me. I mean, when you go to see Dr. Rick, he's going to spend a lot of time with you and not not just gloss over and say, okay, this is what you have. I'm going to give you some you know, medicine and you're going to be on your way. He's going to explain why it's happening, why you think it's happening, uh, what's the cause of that, and how we're going to go about developing a, a, a treatment plan. And just before I jump any further, I want everybody, when they get a chance, to go to spineboy.com. That's um, Dr. Rick's uh, website, um, which ha it has a ton of stuff about Doc Rick and what he does and his advanced alternative medical center to really explain what, what it does. When, you know, I talk about you often when people are suffering from different things. I'm like, you got to go see Doc Rick. Um, and well, I try thank to, you for that. I do, and I try to explain what it is that you do and you know it's 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 not the easiest thing to do oh, um it's definitely not <laughs> i i've been doing it for 36 years and it's still sometimes i take a measured approach in trying to help somebody from the level that they're at i never want to talk down to a person i want to educate a person from whatever their level is and so in my initial exam and consultation the first two things i say before we start anything is number one, if I say anything you don't understand, please stop me. Mm -hmm. I'm not as cool as your mom who can intuit stuff yeah, and, already and, know and it. read yeah, yeah. people and, and, and know what they're thinking before yeah. they even have an hour. I, I don't have that gift, okay? I've seen that gift. I've spent a lot of time with your mom, so I, I, I know how that gift works. I don't have that gift. But if I say anything you don't understand, it's your job to stop me. There are no dumb questions in my office. There are only points of clarity. And then the second thing is, is if I say anything that you disagree with, before we can go forward, we need to settle whatever that thing that's creating the disagreement is. Because if I'm going to take you from, let's say, point A, where you have your health problem, you have pain, you have dysfunction, you're not feeling well, you don't have the energy that you think you should have, you're not living God's plan, which we're all, God's plan is we should all be healthy. And in man's ego sense, we've moved so far away from that to where now we, we're, we're willing to do open heart surgery or we're willing to take medication for the rest of our lives instead of getting to what you uh, alluded to, which is, is getting to the source of, getting to the cause of, getting the understanding of why. If you don't answer the question why, you're wasting your time. And so when we get a person to start to orient themselves, because that's the question that they want. When a patient, when you came into my office, okay, the only question you wanted to understand is, why do I feel the way that I feel? And what is it going to take in order for me to stop feeling the way that I'm feeling? 
And so my job as a facilitator is to reverse engineer your, condi engineer your condition to get to how did it start and what do we have to do to address it at its starting point and then allow the body to do what it does, which is, is heal. The body's a self-healing mechanism. And in our healthcare system in the United States, a great majority of people have lost sight of that. Mm. The nice part is, is that more and more people are not interested in taking the oodles of lifetime medications. And they, they wanna get an understanding as to, okay, well, why is my cholesterol high? Why is my blood pressure high? Why do I have diabetes? Why, and what you mentioned, why would I have an autoimmune disease? Why would my body actually attack itself? Like that doesn't make any sense at all, but there's mechanisms of cause for why it would do that. And God doesn't leave anything out there that doesn't have a solution. So it's just a question of, okay, how much are you going to have to ferret into it and ferret out and, and pull out the underlying cause. Well, I'm the person that can help you facilitate that relationship and get to that understanding. But let's put it in terms that you understand. I don't want to talk above you. I don't want to talk down to you. I want to have a conversation and a relationship with you. You're going to help me to help you. And the more you can communicate to me, the more I can help you. And I, I specifically remember that conversation because you were the first chiropractor I've been to. And I don't think I don't I didn't have any major injury or anything like that. But my mom was going to you and she just introduced me into you. I specifically remember that that conversation. I remember you introducing me to fish oils that I had to take, which mm -hmm. kind of I was like, I don't want to take this. <laughs> and then I remember first neck adjustment. You, you know, you're holding my head and you were like, all right, I'm, I'm going to do it on three, wiggle your left toe, and you go, one, two, and just did it. And it like I let go for a second, and I remember being like, damn, that guy tricked me, but that was good. <laughs> <laughs> I specifically remember that. So. How, how old were you when you went? 12, 13, 11, somewhere in that age. Yeah. So it's it's been about a while. 12, yeah. 11, or 10 years ago. Yep, yeah. yeah. And look at you. You've grown up straight. It uh, had yeah, to try. be because I put your head back it's on. The first time, right? <laughs> that one adjustment changed everything for sure. That's so, funny. Yeah, man. But yeah, so so healthcare is, I guess just to, to put a statistic out there that when I learned it absolutely floored me, okay? The United States comprises roughly four and a half, almost 5% of the people that live in the world live in the United States. And what percentage, I'm going to ask you, what percentage of medication do you think is consumed right here in the United States? Of the world, you're saying? Yeah. I'd say 85% and above? Yeah, 92% of 92? the world's medication is consumed by just under 5% of the world's population. Wow, that's crazy. So you have to ask yourself a question if you're just trying to look at things logically. Do you think we're over-medicated in this country? Well, yeah, the ratio between 5% versus 92%. If 5% of the people are consuming 92% of the medication, what are the other 95% of the people doing? Because 95% of the world's population doesn't use medicine as much as we do here in the States. And that's not to say that medicine's bad. Okay, it has its purpose. But how do you go about it, uh, addressing a health issue? Do you mask it with medication and never address the cause and just allow it to evolve in a negative way? 
Or do you say, okay, maybe I need to take a pain reliever because I can't think straight because of the amount of pain I'm in. So let me lower the pain threshold, but let me go after why I have pain to begin with. Because if I address the reason, then I don't need the medication anymore. But when you take a look at, well, what goes on in our country, how long does a person need to be on blood pressure medication? Typically for the rest of their life. Yeah. Diabetes medication, typically for the rest of their life. Cholesterol medication, typically for the rest of their life. And it's like, okay, I don't know that we were meant as human beings to take toxic chemicals known to have, they advertise the fact that they have side effects and trade feeling better for having a side effect that we don't necessarily want to have. And then sometimes doctors will say, medical doctors I'm referring to here, they'll say, well, we understand that that medication comes with side effects and you're one of the people that experience those side effects. Well, we have a second medication here that can help deal with those side effects. Well, now, <laughs> what are you actually treating? Are you treating the original reason for why they came into the office? Are you treating the consequence of that treatment? Or now you masking it with something and it's, it's just, okay, how far do you want to go? But are you headed in the right direction? Or are you headed in the wrong direction? Are you moving towards solving the problem? Are you moving towards covering up the problem to where the person isn't aware that they have it? They go out and abuse their body more. Mm -hmm. And eventually now they have a surgical situation. And it's, and it's interesting because I, I, again, all of this stuff that you're talking about, we've discussed and really has opened up my mind tremendously to think. I think, I think one of the things too about you that makes you special with what you do, at least in my eyes, is that you really are trying to treat the person, mind, body, and spirit, and spirit. Um, which is a huge part about what you do. What do you think, you know, brought you to that point from when you, st I mean, I know you sort of, like I said, you met with the doctor after mm -hmm. you had that injury, but then you went to chiropractic school. How did the story start? Like, how did you develop this? And when you started treating people, I'm sure traditional chiropractor, and then how did it develop into you having, you know, advanced alternative medical center? And, and, and that's a great question. And, and the journey itself has been, you know, my whole professional career. So um, the first time I went to see Dr. Maffetone was when I was in high school. And he treated all the, the road runners, whether you were on the, 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 the track team or whether you were on the cross country team. So sometimes what we would do from Mayapak High School is we would run down to Dr. Maffetone's office, he would treat all of us, and then we would run back, and that would be our workout. Okay, so um, when I hurt my back that fateful summer of painting houses and, and went to see Dr. Maffetone, and he didn't explain what he did, and I just felt better, I had an epiphany that basically said, and I, I think I already mentioned this, is the fact that if I could figure out why things are not working properly and address them so that you don't end up having some kind of surgical intervention. I think that would be much more exciting. So I chose to forego becoming a cardiothoracic surgeon where I know there would have been circumstances where I would have to leave the operating room and go out and just apologize to the family that there was too much damage. There's only so much that we could do uh, I'm sorry to tell you that your loved one is didn't didn't make the procedure. And having to deliver that conversation, whether it's once a week, once a month, or even once a year, it's too many times. So I said, well, 
What if I go to the other end of the spectrum and start to educate people on how not to end up needing open heart surgery or how not to end up having a kidney removed or how not to end up living with a lifetime of colitis or diverticulitis or something like that? What if I could help people never have to end up with some chronic long-term disease? That became my motivation. So when I got out of chiropractic school and I got into practice in Cold Spring, New York, when people came to my office, I wanted to get to their why. Way back then in the early 90s, when I graduated school and first started practicing, the mentality of people, I remember this one specific gentleman who came to me, and I'm trying to educate him on why he has the problem that he has. And he said this to me, and I, the words still resonate in my ears. He says, Dr. Rick, I don't need to understand why things are wrong with me. I just need you to fix me. And that was the mentality of most people. Just fix it. Treat our bodies like we do our cars. Let me drop it off at the mechanic. The mechanic's going to fix it. And when I come back to pick up the car, the car is going to be repaired. It's going to be as good as it was before it had a problem. But our bodies aren't the same. They have tremendous healing ability if you give it the right input. But we do so many things in our society that goes against that input, which is why we have diabetes, why we have the rampant obesity, why we have autoimmune disease, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, all the, the things that the listener out there is, is aware of or maybe even experiencing. And so I just wanted to make a huge difference in people's lives. So I started, my whole education was about addressing the why. And so at, at this point, 35, 36 years later, I have 32 different alternative healthcare techniques in addition to my doctorate in chiropractic. Because when somebody comes into my office and I don't know what to do for them, as far as I'm concerned, that's God's way of whispering in my ear you got to go get more education. <laughs> you got to go learn more. For sure. You got to go out and find other tools than just the tools that you have. Can can you explain to people, I think it'd be better being explained from you than me in terms of what kinesiology testing is. I know when I went into that office for the first time and you, you know you sort of gave me vials and you said hold your hand and 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 do all this. I mean I was like, I'm like, what is, what is going on here? I mean, this is, this is crazy. And then, then, you know, look, in the meantime, I'm looking for, you know, special like parlor tricks. I'm like, how you hold in my wrist, you know, in a certain way to have me react to it. You know, that's all the stuff that goes through a lot of people's heads when you start, oh, absolutely. when you're, when you're going outside the box, you're not going to your, um, your primary care physician and they're saying, what's wrong with you looking in your throat? Um, you know, so my first experience with that was, you know, it was like, what, 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 what is this, you know? And, you know, to be honest with you, if, um, you know, it was Deborah recommending me to you, um, I don't think if it came from, it came from the right person. Right. At the right time in my life for me to be open right. to that unique experience I had. Well, that, that's, that's that I have the almost every thing, time with you. To, to <laughs> just take a step back before we go forward is that that's the wonderful thing about life. God doesn't make mistakes. Okay, everything happens divinely the way that it's supposed to happen, and you're going to meet the right people when you're supposed to meet the right people, and things are going to happen when they're supposed to happen. And if they're not happening, it's because you're missing something or it's not divine right time. 
And I live my life that way. And sometimes I forget about it, but I've seen so many examples of that in my life that are like blowing up in my face. It's, there's, there's no way for me to argue with it. When I watched your mom do a radio program and how she was receiving information before the person she was going to help had even called, mm. okay, I got to experience that we are all energy. We're energy beings, okay? And if you can tap, if you have an awareness enough to tap into the energy, okay, there's nothing that you can't understand about a particular situation. So with, to bring it back to your question, with kinesiology, which is the, the tool of manual muscle testing, manual muscle testing is a form of neurofeedback between your brain and your body. And so when you find initially a strong muscle indicator, like I'll have you hold your arm out and I'll push down on it and I'll ask you to resist and you'll be strong. And then I'll touch an area of your body and it'll go weak. And I'll take my finger off that area and you'll go back to being strong and then we'll touch it again and you'll be weak. And then I'll take it off and you'll go back to be. And once I have your attention that you're in your head saying, well, how come every time he touches here, I go weak? Okay. Well, now we found an area that the energy that's flowing through that energy, uh, through that area, isn't balanced. Therefore, it indicates in a muscle what should be strong is going to indicate a weakness, meaning that there's some level of interference. And so the late, great Dr. George Goodhart, who created a system known as applied kinesiology, so many practitioners I remember, because I studied applied kinesiology, I actually studied with George Goodhart. I had an opportunity to, to meet him and spend some time with him. And I will never forget the words that, that he said to me that just made me feel like I was the biggest, best person on the planet. He looked right at me and he says, I like your spirit. And coming from that giant of a man, noticing the spirit within me, I, I don't have words for it, but what George did was he quantified manual muscle testing through the system of applied kinesiology. But if you didn't study and take the course, it looked like it was a parlor trick. So a lot of other techniques have developed using manual muscle testing that don't use the applied kinesiology level of understanding. One of my late great mentors, Dr. Victor Frank, who taught me total body modification. He grew up and studied and went through school and was a peer of George Goodhart. But they both saw things a little bit differently. So there wasn't a lot of synergy between them because each one was trying to create their own technique and each one knew what they knew and each one had the beliefs that they had. And so Victor had shared with me that he didn't like applied kinesiology because it wasn't a much more linear technique. So when you come to my office, I use a lot of different tools, but I apply them in a way that it's very easy for the person to understand. If I touch you here and it creates a weakness, I'm indicating that your gallbladder is dysfunction. Okay. If I have you hold here, we're looking at a person's thyroid. If we touch right where the ribs come together, that soft area just below your sternum, that's a stomach issue. And so when you directly touch a part of a person's body and that creates a weakness, then whatever I'm touching 
has a problem. Mm. Now we just need to figure out, okay, well, what's causing the problem? Could it be simply structural, meaning that there's a nerve interference going on probably because your spine's out of alignment? Okay, that can certainly create a weakness. Could it be nutritional? Do you think we eat well-balanced diets in this country? Absolutely. No, not at all. Okay, so are we probably lacking in certain nutrients that would make our body run better? Yes, okay. So could it be a nutritional deficiency? Could it be to too many toxins? We're exposed to over 86,000 different toxins on a weekly basis. Wow. The FDA regulates less than 20,000 of them. <laughs> are we toxic in this country? Yes, we are. That's why we have obesity. Obesity is a starvation disease. It's kind of counterintuitive. You think yeah. if the person's fat, they probably eat too much. Well, yeah, they probably eat too much of no nutritional substance in their mm -hmm. food. And so the body is a hoarder. If it can't use it, it's going to save it. If it has all the ingredients, it'll use it immediately. And there'll be no residue. There'll be no storage of it at all. But if you're eating incomplete food, with not enough of the right ingredients to actually allow the physiological process to go forward, then the body's gonna say, well, I've got seven of the 10 pieces that I need to complete this cycle. So let me put the seven aside and wait for till I get the other three, except they're on the other side of the river stuck at a toll and they can't get across the bridge, therefore they never show up. Or your diet doesn't have <clears throat> that kind of variety in it to give your body all of what it needs in order to process things. So your body will continue to store. That's what leads to obesity, hmm. okay? All health issues, this is a huge statement, all health issues are nutritional deficiency diseases. Now you say, well, I was born with this deficiency. Well, yeah, then you had the deficiency during your gestation and something grew with the wrong way as a result of not having the right ingredients, which means that maybe the diet that your mom, while you were crawling around in her belly, okay, maybe her diet was deficient. Mm. But at the end of the day, since, since medicine has taken over our healthcare system, allopathic medicine, okay, back in 1908, there used to be a thing called the Healthy Food Act, okay? The guy that was given credit for being the, a, the head of the Food and Drug Administration, Dr. Noel Wiley, okay, he took the Grain Millers Association to the Supreme, it went all the way up to the Supreme Court. It is illegal in the United States, based upon the law and how it was interpreted back in the 1930s, it's illegal to bleach flour in this country. Do they, they, so they do not bleach flour? They don't apply the law. <laughs> because in the early 1930s, Dr. Wiley died. So in 1933, the Food and Drug Administration rewrote, rewrote all the laws. Because the original Healthy Food Act says you can't do anything to food if it's going to change how you, the consumer, processes that food hmm. instead of it being processed naturally. And so the sad part is, is that medicine got involved the way that medicine got involved, and we've moved away from what does it take in order for a person to be healthy because they want us taking chemicals known to have harmful side effects. Mm. Interesting. Do you, do you attribute like the 
because obviously it is a obesity pandemic. It's a crisis. Do you attribute it to being like people are kind of lazy as in it's so much easier for me to take this pill to mask this symptom instead of exercising? Or do you think it's more of just being uneducated? Because I, I had no idea flowers bleached. I never heard about that ever. Right. And I'm pretty, you know, I'm in the healthcare world a lot. So do you think it's on education or? So what's interesting is it's a combination of both things that you referenced. Mm. Okay. It is a lack of understanding by the average consumer. The average consumer has the mentality that if it's for sale in a store, that it's gone through some government agency that has to adhere to strict requirements in order for that product to be sold, which I got an education when I called the FDA at how untrue that is. Because when I used to record my radio show up here that aired in the Hudson Valley, I had to commute from Newburgh over to Beacon where we would record and then from Beacon. And as I would drive, I would listen to the radio. And I kept hearing this this, uh, commercial for a product called Digestive Advantage. And I'm listening to it and I'm listening to all the claims that they make about what this product is going to do for you. So I'm like, let me go research the product. So I went to the store and they had seven different versions of Digestive Advantage. And they were all for different specific problems. If you have IBS, you need this formula. If you have uh, diverticulitis, you need this formula. If you have gas and bloating, you need this formula. So I looked at all of them and I was just like, how can they claim this? So I called the FDA. And I got a lovely woman on the phone who was very patient with me, but also gave me an education in terms of how things are regulated. In this country, if it's not causing huge problems, they're never going to be aware of it because there's too many products out there in order for them to be aware of all of it. And they're not going to ask people to go through the government approval process because that's costs an arm and a leg before you start selling a product. So everybody has a right to create a product and to promote that product. But if it starts to create problems, okay, when the numbers get high enough, that's going to get the notification of the authorities. And then eventually somebody's going to come knocking on your door and it's going to say, listen, you, we have a problem with your particular product. But then on the other end of it, when I used to help a former colleague of mine who, who died suddenly and uh, his wife was left without a means of, of, income. So I used to commute up to Vermont one day a week to treat his patients and give her the money so that she could continue to survive. I did that for a year. While I was up there, I was reading their local newspaper. And in the newspaper, it talked about how the EPA came in and arrested a woman because she had a cow that was bought by her and four of their friends, kept on her property, and she was milking the cow and sharing the milk with the other four owners. EPA came in and arrested her, fined her $50,000 because she was distributing milk without a license. Wow. <laughs> wow. Really? And that story was in their local newspaper that I read at the local restaurant that I would go to when I would take my lunch break. And I'm looking at that and I'm just saying, are they that threatened? by people doing the right thing, that they're willing to ruin a person. Like, I, I don't know, I don't have 50 grand laying around to give to the government on a whim because I was milking my cow, <laughs> you know? Like, wow. It just really speaks to ha- speak to having to be your, your own advocate and to, again, you know, uh, 
Dr. Rick makes a good point is that just because it's on the shelf, and I don't think a lot of people, I think more people now are, are educating in that and getting there, but just because it's on the shelf doesn't mean it's good for you. Obviously, we live in a world where we, uh, a country where we eat highly processed food. I always tell people, you know, a lot of my issue is, um, you know, I'm, um, I'm, I'm great with going to see Dr. Rick every, every month when he comes up from, from Georgia. I go to, you know, I go to Dr. Ben when I need to see him. You know, there's so many things that I'm good at. I use the sauna, I use the cold plunge, but nutrition is where I struggle, you know, uh, when you're busy in life and you're running around and you have, you know, me with my multiple businesses, my kids, it's hard to do the right thing. It's much easier to stop somewhere, get something quick, but it's a really important part of the, your whole health. I mean, it's probably one of the most important things and to the, regulate. The, the challenge of wanting to find quality food when you're in a pinch and you're on the go, okay, all the fast food restaurants are positioned where they're positioned because they have the ability to do the market research to find out the demographic that they can serve. And so, yeah, when I drive from Georgia up to New York to, to help my patients up here, okay, pretty much at every exit, there's either a McDonald's or a Burger King or sometimes both. And it's like, okay, if you're in a pinch, where are you going to go? Okay, you're going to... Me growing up as a kid, okay, we used to go out for dinner on Friday nights, and we would go to McDonald's, and then when we were done with McDonald's, we'd go to Dunkin' Donuts, <laughs> get dessert. And that's some of my fondest childhood memories. But I look back at it now, and I'm just like, yeah, if I, if I was blessed enough to have kids... I would never do that to them because I know the long-term consequences of doing that. But the marketers and the, the people that make the money from the brands of those types of fast food places, they do their demographic market research to understand, okay, how profitable is it going to be for us if we put one of our stores here or if we put it over here? What I've seen, interestingly enough, wherever... Home Depot is very shortly after Home Depot, they open a Lowe's yeah. down the street. Yeah. Why? Because Lowe's is smart enough to wait till Home Depot has done all the research and paid for everything to know that the demographic is going to support them. Good. We put our business right next to them or within the same proximity, and we're going to take some of their customers because the people who we're closer to are going to come to us, and they've done their marketing. Lowe's is, you just add an ST to it, and now it spells lowest. And yeah. they did a whole marketing campaign on that. So, it's, you know, and marketing is fascinating because if you figure out emotionally how to connect with your potential business person who's going to come to your business to use your products or your services or whatever, when you learn how to get into their head to get them to make an emotional purchase, as opposed to a logical purpose. Emotions will always run logic until you have a strong enough logic not to let your emotions get in the way. Men do that with cars. You see a car advertisement, I mean, you're a car enthusiast, yep. okay? Um, you see 
what goes into a car ad, uh, advertisement and, and by the time the 30 or 45 second or 60 second commercial is over, you're just like, huh, let me look into that on the internet. And it's just like, it's, it's just, it's, it's a whole funnel effect. And they've done that with food. They've done that with various products. And at the end of the day, we consume so much as a nation. How much of what we consume helps us versus how much of it is an addiction versus how much of it is a convenience versus how much does it actually serve, let's say, whatever our purpose is. And so making food choices out of convenience, a lot has gone into where they position different restaurants. Market research goes into understanding that so that they know how much of the audience that is going to come into and, and partake in like in in the town that i live in pooler georgia the part of the town that is closest to 95 there's a zaxby's right as you get off the exit you take that same road which is called pooler parkway to the other side which is where highway 16 interstate 16 crosses there's now a zaxby's there so we have two zaxby's that are literally five miles apart serving the same population but their exits off two different highways so they're going to get you whether you're on 95 or whether you're on 16. Hmm. and so it's it's like okay so you as an average consumer how much of your unconscious is controlling the choices that you're making in your daily habits okay we're all sitting here with i don't really pay attention to my phone, but you guys have your phones there and that's great. And, and you get your news feed and you get your texts and you get your emails and you get all the different things. And how much comes into your feed on a daily basis that is something that's trying to get your attention to click on it so that you can read it. And it's like, all right, so you're being controlled and you don't even know you're being controlled. Mm. And so the health that we have in our society the united states i already said represents roughly five percent of the world's population there's 204 countries in the world depending upon who's winning which warfare <laughs> sometimes it's 203 sometimes it's 204 whatever it's okay where do you think the united states ranks as far as health goes compared to all 203 204 countries definitely below 180 i'd say towards the end for sure okay so if if one is the best country and 204 is the worst country where do you think the united states we have more doctors more hospitals more medication more technology more access where do you think we would rank 184 that's my guess <laughs> i don't know that you're understanding my question correctly the united states ranks 59th there's 58 other countries in this world that have better health than we do here in the United States. Got it. Like I said, we got more doctors, more hospitals, more medication, more technology, and more access. It's easier. The Canadians are happy to come into the United States to pay for care than the socialized medicine that they have in Canada. Hmm. Why would they do that? Because the system of socialized medicine is, it may take forever for you to get in to see the specialist literally may take forever so i'm tired of dealing with my situation so i'm going to actually go to a doctor who's willing to take my money 
just so that I can get to the front of the line as opposed to being put in the back of the line because I happen to get to the party late and there's a whole line of people in front of me. Hmm. And that's the sad thing. So we rank 59th. We think of the United States as we're number one, okay? But there's 58 other countries whose people have better quality health, live longer than we do here in the States. With less doctors, less medicine. Less access. And less access. Okay. But you've been to Italy? I have. Yes. Yeah. What do you get for food in Italy? And you know, it's funny that you're bringing up Italy because my, my parents were just there. I was there 20 years ago, but they, they talked about how, you know, when you eat pasta here, you feel very heavy and they, mm -hmm. they had pasta in Italy and it wasn't, it wasn't like that. They felt wonderful. My wife and I, we had the pleasure of going to Greece for a week and then we went to Italy for a week. And when we were, in, we were actually in Italy for nine days, we stayed in a different city every night because I wanted to show my wife, she's Italian, she'd never been to Italy before. I wanted to show her the country of where her grandparents came from. I cannot tell you the amount of food that I ate. We ate <laughs> everything, everywhere we went, we stop in a shop. If they had food, we got some and did that all day, every day for nine days. When I got back to the States, I said, I'm afraid to step on the scale. I got on the scale. With the amount of food I ate, I gained no weight. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference between real food. What they do in most European countries is they harvest the food that morning that they're going to sell at the whatever that day so the fisherman catches the fish and brings it to the place that they're going to distribute it that morning before they open for business and then you're taking home fresh fruit fresh vegetables fresh bread fresh meat or poultry or fish or what have you and you're getting high quality fresh food we go to the supermarket here okay you don't even see where they're cutting it up you just see the prepackaged final product that they put in the little bins that you're going to go and you're going to thumb through, okay, I don't want to spend that much. I don't need that much. Okay. Oh, okay. This is, this is the right price and it's the right amount. Mm. Okay. But you, what are we getting for all of that? It's not fresh. Okay. Which means that we're already going to have an issue. All right. We don't know whether they've used hormones. We don't know if they've used antibiotics. The label may claim that, but I've seen how that's not always the truth. Why? Because there isn't somebody there from the FDA evaluating whether the label is accurate or not. Mm. So I went to Price Chopper, Market 32, yeah. before it was Price Chopper. I don't remember the name of the store before it became Price Chopper. And if you were to say it, I would say, yes, that's what it is. But I, I don't remember off the top of my I went in there one day and I did an experiment. I went to the flower aisle and I took a black marker and I put a circle on one of the one, the bricks of flower yeah. sitting on the bottom shelf. I wanted to see how long it would take for that container, that bag of flour to sell. I kid you not. Six months later, that same bag of flour was still there because it still had the same wow. magic marker 
dot that I had put on it. Wow. So getting back to the doctor who took the Grain Millers Association to court and went all the way to the Supreme Court, it's illegal to bleach flour in this country, but nobody applies the law. No, you get white bleach flour. And so you get the white bleach flour because, unfortunately, that particular food, along with sugar, is racist. And I say that tongue-in-cheek, but sure. if it's not white purified, it's not good enough. If it's light brown or if it's dark brown, there's got to be impurities in there. So we got to bleach it so that it looks beautiful and it has a consistency to it. And yet that's what people are buying because they think it's better than the stuff that nature made. Okay. Wheat flour is brown. Sugar from sugarcane is brown. There's no net benefit to making it white other than just the appearance. Well, that's just it. If the, the appearance is like that sheet of paper in front of you, yep. it's white. So you can see if there's any blemish in it whatsoever. You would recognize it immediately. Okay. So the grain millers, in order to get the part of the grain that they sell, there's three parts. There's the germ portion, mm -hmm. there's the bran portion, and then there's the starch. The starch is what they sell. The starch is what they bleach. But in order to get the starch, they have to get rid of the germ where all the nutrition is. That's the reproductive system of the plant that's going to germinate and grow into a new wheat stalk. Okay. The bran is the outer covering. Okay. So they get rid of the bran. They get rid of the, the, the um, germ portion, which is where all the nutrition is. Okay. And you're left with just the starch. But you're not going to buy light brown or even dark brown starchy material. No, so we want to clean it up, purify it, and bleach it, and strip all the nutrition out of it. And we want to add some isolated chemical substrates to it, call them B vitamins. And we put it into a flour, and we put it on the shelf, and we make it into bread, or we make it into muffins, or rolls, or croissants, or whatever <laughs> it is. And... People think that they're getting nutrition, but the nutrition was actually in the germ that they discarded. Why? Because when they first started refining wheat, you'd go to, into town, you'd buy enough wheat flour to make bread for a week, okay? Because if you didn't use it in a week, the oils that were in the germ portion would go rancid, and now your bread wouldn't taste like bread is supposed to taste. So... They started getting rid of the germ portion and just going with the starch, which there's no nutritional value to it. So they put some chemical isolates called B vitamins into it, maybe some iron because we all had iron deficiency at one point. Okay. If you do any research on the history of food and how it came into being the way that it is now in the 2024, okay, one of my late great mentors, the only mentor of mine that I never met, was a dentist by the name of Dr. Royal Lee. Oh, yeah. And he was the founder of Standard Process Whole Food Supplements. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to fix cavities without drilling and filling. So he found a cure for why people's teeth get weak to begin with, which sets them up for de dental cavities or what they used to call dental caries. Okay. And he found out that your teeth weakening was a nutritional deficiency.
problem. So he figured out what do teeth need, not fluoride. Fluoride's toxic. Fluoride shuts off your thyroid. Fluoride suppresses your immune system. But there are still dentists in the world today that are doing fluoride treatments on yeah. their patients, and they're setting themselves up for health issues. But it's what they've been doing for over 100 years. So Dr. Lee said, I'm going to fix cavities at their source. And the American Dental Association said, I found the whole reason why people get cavities. And the American Dental Association didn't want to know him from a hole in the wall. Mm. So they blackballed him. They did a smear campaign on him. He took all of his money from his inventions that he was getting from the federal government to help support their war machine, World War I and World War II. And he took all that money and invested it in whole food supplements. And the company that was his was Standard Process. And so I was introduced to Standard Process when I was in high school. And the guy that influenced me to go to chiropractic school instead of going on to medical school, he used Standard Process products in order to get my attention to change my career. And the whole foundation of that, that company is, and Dr. Lee's whole premise was, is that anytime you have a disease, it's due to a lack of proper ingredients that will allow your body to function the way that it's supposed to. All disease, all sickness is nutritional deficiency. So with the standard process, you're giving people what they need to not have a deficiency anymore. Right. I'm giving them the concentrates of whatever nutrition they're deficient in to help raise the levels back so that everything's at the ideal level that it needs to be. And then the body just starts to do what it's designed to do, mm. which is to run. Your body was never meant to get sick. Your body has self-healing mechanisms, okay? You fall down and scrape your knee. It bleeds, okay? It gets a little bit uh, weepy. It develops a, a, a scab. And then slowly over time, from the inside out, it heals. And if there's no emotion in the injury, you won't get a scar. But if you have a scar... It's because the circumstances that caused you to have that injury affected you emotionally. You haven't dealt with the emotions, and the emotion is trapped in the scar. When hmm. you address the emotions in the scar, it'll go back to looking like it did when you were a baby. Really? And I've seen that in my office, and there are people who enjoy their scars. <laughs> there are people who... Um, you know, the purpose of a scar is, is to be a reminder of what not to do. <laughs> so when you take away that reminder, sometimes people go back to doing things that they shouldn't do. So it's, it, it's, it's so interesting how, you know, you have so much going against you. And you really, again, like we talked about having to be an advocate for yourself, really get educated. And where somewhere Dr. Rick comes into play, he's really, you know, somebody that's highly educated, uh, very smart and very studied who can, you know, help you point in the right direction. That's one of the things I first noticed when I went to see Dr. Rick was, okay, you know, we talked about, we did my, my kinesiology test and we talked, talked about my Hashimoto's. Um, we talked about some other things going on and, you know, uh, you know, you know, there was a step one in terms of introducing some things that I had to get rid of, which we treated. And then every step along the way, it's, it's, you know, checking, checking a box. Okay. We worked on that. Do we need to continue down that path? And, um, you know, it's been a, and I tell everybody that asks about you when I talk about my journey, 
it's been a game changer to how I feel on a on a daily basis. Um, we touched on this a little bit before, but you know, it's also fascinating because you know, and Doctor Rick will be very honest and 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 tell you guys is that he wants to get to know you. He wants to treat you. He hates texts. He wants to talk to people uh, because it's important for him to develop a relationship with his patients and also to really treat them. And again, you have, you know, medical doctors that you sort of go in, you just talk, you're a number, you're out, they prescribe you medicine. Your approach is again to treat the mind, the body, and the spirit. I'm interested to hear more about the spiritual aspect also of, of, of you and how that developed and how that plays a part in healing. Well, what's interesting for me is, is every perceived negative in your life is a learning opportunity. So I was in a very difficult relationship with the girl that I was dating at the time. She was not being transparent with me. She wasn't being a very good communicator. Um, I always found that I was trying to understand what she was doing. I always felt energetically that there was something that she wasn't telling me that she was doing behind my back. And my spirit knew that what was going on wasn't appropriate for me. But my insecurity and my immaturity in relationship, I have a whole background to where we don't need to get into it today, but I was born as a vanishing twin syndrome, which meant that my twin in utero didn't make it to being born. So my first three months of being in utero, I had a twin brother, but I was born without a twin. And I didn't know any of this until I was in my late 20s, early 30s, where I got into spiritual healing. And I learned about that. And then I went and investigated using all my kinesiology tests and all the different mentors that I had. What, what do you know about vanishing twin syndrome? What can you do to help me with that? And, and I battled with getting over my twin for about 14 years, which was interesting because when I take a look back at my life, growing up as a kid before I started school, I had my older brother and my younger brother, and I had a third brother that was on the way. So I had a lot of interactions. When I went to nursery school the first day, I was in a classroom with 25 other kids that represented the whole spectrum of humanity. There were black kids, brown kids, red-haired kids, blonde-haired kids, brown-eyed, blue-eyed, green-eyed, tall, short, fat, thin, the whole spectrum. And when I came home from school, my mom said, how was your first day of school? And I just explained all of that to her, and she said, well, just remember, Rick, Different isn't wrong. Different is just different. And so from, from that experience, I've always been curious to understand why things are the way that they are so that I can relax and be more comfortable in different circumstances. And so going through life the way that I went through life and, and with that previous girlfriend, not being able to understand what was going on with her Spirit took my eyesight from me. I started to develop eye infections to where I couldn't see. And for a period of time in my life, I was legally blind. And I remember I was going to a seminar in New Jersey, 
and I'm driving down the highway and my eyes just aren't working the way that they are. And I remember having a very pointed, heated conversation with God. I'm driving down the highway and I'm just like, you either need to take my eyes fully or you need to give them back. But I can't deal with this halfway middle of the road stuff. That was a Saturday. The following Monday, I met the doctor who helped me get my sight back. Wow. So I was kind of disappointed it took two days. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure God's agenda is, you know, it is the way that it is. But I went through a process where I wasn't being honest with myself. I knew my girlfriend wasn't being faithful. I knew that she wasn't being open. I knew that she wasn't being honest. But I was still trying to keep her in my life. And so Spirit said to me, well, if you're not going to see what's right in front of you, you obviously don't need your eyes anymore. And so I started to develop issues with my eyes to where I couldn't see. Hmm. So then it became a, a question of sacrificing, getting rid of the relationship that wasn't in love and support of me, and actually learning how to love myself and take care of myself. And that's probably the most important thing that I can share with any patient is that you have a health problem because there's an incongruence with what you're thinking versus how you're acting versus what you're doing. Mm. Okay. So interesting. Your, your mom's business is what called what? Intuitive medium. Yes. But what is, what is her catchphrase? Being, knowing, doing. Oh, being, knowing, doing. Yeah, Yeah. Right. Okay. And so it's, it's, it's a question of that, is appropriate for what she does, but it's also appropriate for all human beings to understand, mm. okay? You are a triune being. You are a physical being, you are a mental, emotional being, but you are an eternal spirit, okay? And when you violate one of those three or all three, you're gonna suffer physically. You may suffer mentally, emotionally, okay? But you have eternity to work out your spiritual imbalance. So I went to a spiritual healer who helped me to understand and get honest with me about why I was having eye issues. Hmm. And because she helped me understand how to address my spiritual aspects and how to get rid of that relationship and how to honor and love and respect myself, that took my healing to a whole nother level. And what does that healing process look like? Is it like praying? Is it just keeping, obviously keeping your eyes open to other stuff down the road that can happen? Well, with the, the woman that I worked with who was uh, out of Katona, okay, she called herself a spiritual healer. And she never physically touched me, but she had me lay on her massage therapy table, and she stood behind me, and she put her hands, she started about two feet above my eyes, and she says, let me know when you feel anything. And she moved her hands closer to me. And when she got about little more than 12 inches from my eyes, my eyes started burning hmm. because the energy that she was using was coming out of the palms of her hands that she was directing right into my eyes. And from how her instrument works, not similar to your mom's, but along those same kind of things, you know, I, I believe your mom gets flashes of clairvoyance, okay? My spiritual healer was both clairvoyant and clairaudient. Okay, and so she could see what was going on in my eyes. And so oh. she's telling me what's going on when she had her hands, the palms of her hands, a certain distance from my eyes. And she literally burned the infection out of my eyes. So I went back to my eye doctor who kept giving me antibiotic drops, which were doing absolutely nothing for me. 
And when I went back to him after I saw her, he's like, those antibiotic drops seems to be working much better. I didn't have the heart to tell him that I wasn't <laughs> taking the antibiotic drops, nor that I was going to see this yeah, yeah. spiritual healer. Yeah. Because like, my experience was people weren't doing that kind of thing. But come full circle, about seven years later, I went in for a session. And as I'm waiting for her to come down from her healing room, she comes down the stairs with my eye doctor. Get out of here. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, you're here. Wow. He says, Rick. I said, yeah, it's good to see you. He says, how long have you been coming to Sarah? I said, since the last time you, you saw me. I said, I didn't have the heart to tell you that the antibiotics weren't fixing my eyes. I said, she was fixing my eyes. But now that you're here with her, I don't have to explain. He says, no, I get exactly what you're saying. Wow. We didn't ever actually have to talk about it. Really? And so all of my healing, because of my life experience, is wanting to focus on all three aspects of a person's body. Sometimes they come in and they have a, a physical problem that needs addressing. Good. Mm -hmm. We will address that. Sometimes they have a mental emotional imbalance terms of how they're carrying themselves, what's going on between their ears, what they're thinking, and how that influences how their body functions. And sometimes it's a spiritual thing. And so using muscle testing to use the 31, 32 different techniques that I have and, and condensing them all into what am I going to do to help this person who's sitting in front of me right now? What, what tools do I need? Spirit calls in the connection energetically between myself and my patient creates this middle entity, if you will, which is where the questioning is going on. It's a question, okay, what's appropriate for them? What do I have that's appropriate for them? How do I facilitate what's appropriate for them with the tools that I have? And then once we're in that simpatico relationship, okay, now true healing can take place because mm. we're working at the level that's going to support them to their highest level of healing. Mm. And Obviously, too, there's a big part of belief. You had the belief in her. And, I mean, you look at organized religions, whether it's, you know, Catholic, Muslim, Hindu, mm -hmm. whatever it is. There's the anchor of that is the belief system. It's the faith. Faith. Belief, faith, yeah. So in, in your experience, you know, in your experience going to her and your experience of being a doctor, how important is that belief system in terms of someone healing? Like, you could have, say me and Vinny have the same Hashimoto, same immune system, and I don't believe in anything you're telling me, but he is. Would you expect to see him, you know, a higher level of recovery rate or healing as opposed well, to me? That's a wonderful question that's more complex than you think it is. Mm. Okay. If you have 100% faith, trust, confidence, and security in the provider that is supporting you, you will get the best healing because that's the level of healing that you're open to. He comes from 180 degrees away from what you're doing, mm. but he has 100% faith, trust, confidence, security in what he's doing. All healing techniques that are out there in the world that have any level of notoriety, they're all effective, even if they're completely different, even if they're completely coming from a different perspective. Mm. So it's a relationship that needs to be cultivated between the practitioner and the patient, or practice member is what I call them in my office, okay, because 
my whole focus is what do I have to do to facilitate the greatest amount of positive change within the person that is coming to me and asking for my professional help? Has nothing to do with me. It certainly has nothing to do with my ego. It has to do with what is the cleanest level of information that I can impart to this person from my heart, hopefully to their heart, but it's always going to be filtered through that person's belief system. Hmm. And typically when I'm educating a new patient, I don't get above a five-year-old mentality. Why? Because I don't want to talk down to them. I don't yeah. want to use complex. I want to use words that everybody can understand. And I've had three-year-olds in my office use their own words to repeat back to me what they understood about what I was sharing with them. And when a three-year-old can comprehend in their language accurately what I do, then I know the information has been exchanged. And that's really it. Mm. If a person has a problem, it's due to a lack of understanding. When you give them the understanding, it's no longer a problem. So it's kind of like the wonderful catchphrase, it's mind over matter. Mm. If you don't mind, then it don't matter. <laughs> Okay, and, yep. and there's truth to that. Right. So it's like, okay, so when your body is asking you to pay attention to it, what's the quickest way to get your attention? Just pay attention to it. <laughs> well, it's the, the quickest way that it can get your attention so that you start paying attention is, is to produce uh, a pain. pain. I got you. Yep. Yeah. Okay. You have to lose 60% of normal functioning to have pain. Wow. Wow, that's interesting. I did not know that. No, yeah. me neither. So if you take medication designed to mask your pain and it makes you feel like now you're functioning at 41%, you're no longer having pain, which is great, mm. but the problem's still there. So you go out and you continue to use your body the way that it's supposed to, and if your body can't get your attention through pain the way that it initially did, it's going to find another way to get your attention. Because it's just trying, spirit is just trying to solve whatever is, is not congruent, hmm. okay? So you'll be given an opportunity. If it works, it will never bother you again. If it doesn't work, if it's temporary at best, it's going to come back around again. And I have lots of patients who've suffered, literally suffered, for sometimes 40, 50 years. Wow. And I just scratch my head and I'm like, I'm not passing judgment on them because I would never do that. But, but what I want to understand is why have you accepted to be in that state for that long? And sometimes it's, it's they don't have an answer for that. Hmm. I had a gentleman come to me once who had had his right lung removed due to a diseased state. He went back in for a follow-up visit, and they had seen that he had a six-sonometer lesion on his left lung. Now, your right lung has three lobes. Your left lung has two lobes because it's got to make room for the heart, okay? So upper and lower left lobes versus upper, middle, and lower on the right. He had his right lung removed, so he's only got two lobes left that he needs to use to breathe. Mm -hmm. The doctor that he went to see was from India. So instead of using the word centimeter, 
he pronounced it sodometer. So the patient, who wasn't highly educated, had no idea what the doctor was talking about. Mm. So he left the doctor's office not knowing what his diagnosis was, what his prognosis was, and what he needed to do. So he came to me. So I did my whole hour and a half introductory visit, figured out what was going on with him, and I said to him, I said, do you have any questions? He says, yeah. What the heck is a sonometer? <laughs> I said, sonometer? Do you mean centimeter? He says, no, the doctor specifically said sonometer. I said, well, what kind of, well, he was blah, blah, blah. This doctor, I think he was from India. I was, oh, okay, so in India, they pronounce it sonometer, but it's a unit of measurement. It's a centimeter. There's two and a half centimeters in an inch, 2.54 to be exact. I said, so if you have a six centimeter lesion, okay, you have something that's growing in you that's, you know, yeah. pretty much as big as a cue ball, okay, in the only lung that you have left. So then I asked him the most difficult question I could ever ask a patient. Do you want to live? And the man broke down and cried for literally 20 minutes straight. Now, interestingly enough, the chief negative emotion that is stored in your lungs is grief. Oh. So I asked the right question that got him to express grief for 20 minutes. He was already getting healed because that was repressed grief. And now we took the cork off and all of it came out. And when he was done, he was like, why would you ask that question? I said, well, that's a major quantifier. <laughs> if you're willing to do the work, I'm willing to help you. Mm. If you're not do, willing to do the work, then I'm going to ask you to go get your affairs in order and, and go live out however made they, they say you have six weeks left to live. Go enjoy your six weeks. The anger he had towards his doctor for not explaining things in terms that he could understand kept him alive for two and a half years. Wow. When he was supposed to be dead in about six weeks. Wow. And I, and I think that's another point that you make that's so important that you ask the question, why would people want to suffer? I think people like me, um, as I, you know, you, you think you're, you're programmed here or wherever, this country, in this world, in terms of how you feel. When you don't feel well, you go see, your, you go see a medical doctor. And then right. they give you a pill, and that's it. So for To people, change the way you feel. To change the way you feel, which... It's an, a, an amazing analogy, too, is that, you know, and again, when you put it that way, where you need to have the pain to understand what's going on with you. Um, right. You need to. You, you, when pain you get is an attention getter. Yeah. And when you've taken enough courses, like I've taken body language courses to interpret what different aspects of the body mean and where the, what the consciousness of the body means, et cetera. And so chief emotion with the lungs is grief. He lost a part of his body. He lost half of his vital organ for exchanging oxygen with, with carbon dioxide so he could continue living, okay? We never got into understanding the grief specific to that because we started doing things the other way and, you know, he eventually was just like, I can't afford to continue to come back. I'm doing better. I feel better, okay? And he wasn't going to go back to the medical professionals to figure out if it gotten bigger or had gotten smaller or whatever, this, that, or the other thing. It's like another story where a woman came to me. She had had two pieces of her frontal lobe 
removed from her brain, which affected her short-term memory and her recall, which made it hard for her to remember to keep her appointments. Even if I called her the night before and said, we're meeting tomorrow at noon, and then noon would show up and she wouldn't show up. So one day we were working with her specifically. She had had these two parts of her frontal lobe removed for a thing called an astrocytoma. And if you ever saw the movie Phenomenon with, yeah. with John Travolta, yeah. okay, they talked about him having that at the end of the movie because he evidently got struck by lightning or whatever the story went, this, mm -hmm. that, and the other thing. So this woman had two failed surgeries for an astrocytoma, and her oncologist had basically said, yeah, there's nothing more that I can do for you without seriously impacting your abyss. So I met with her. We started doing some healing. I found out what was creating the astrocytoma. We started treating that. Her, she fell off of her treatment because she couldn't remember to keep her appointments. And then one day I was walking into the Alexis Diner and she was coming out and she recognized me. But because of what had been done to her, she couldn't articulate that she recognized, her face said that she recognized me. And I certainly recognized her, but I don't chase patients, okay? Sure. so. I said hello to her and she's like, I've been meaning to tell you. I went back to my oncologist who she hadn't seen for seven years after she had started treatment with me. And he did a scan and he said that chemo's finally kicking in. After seven years of not receiving any care, he tried to equate what he had done with why she was getting better seven years later. And I said, well, how do you feel about that? She says, Dr. Rick, I know it's what you did. And I said, well, we still got more work to do. And unfortunately, I never saw her after that encounter within the vestibule at the Alexis Diner. Wow. But to me, it's just, it's a question of what I said to you before. Spirit is going to lead you through your mental abilities and through your physical abilities to always end up right where you're supposed to end up. And to trust that process is faith, okay? So when you exercise the third of the triune, the physical, the mental, and the spiritual, when you start to delve into an experience and try to get all three of them, body, mind, and spirit, all working together in a particular direction, then you can figure out how to restore balance to your body. And I don't care as long as you have the desire, miracles can happen. And I've seen so many miracles over the last 35, 36 years, things that I, I personally, as a healer, never thought possible. And my patient proved me wrong because they believed enough. They had faith enough in what I was helping them with that and so when I do an exam and consultation on a person, I have one goal in mind. When I'm done with the consultation, do you as a patient now have hope for your condition versus managing your condition, which is what goes on in traditional allopathic medical care? You take medication to manage your condition. There's no known cure. Cure is a four-letter word you can't use in healthcare. Because if you can claim to cure somebody, the powers that be are going to come shut you down faster than the news can come interview as to how did you cure this person? Because cures can't be out there. Because if you pay attention to what goes on in our healthcare system, 
it's a symptom management treatment. Yeah. It's not a solution. No. There's no solution for high blood pressure other than taking medication, which isn't a solution. Because when you stop your medication, what happens? You're gonna blood pressure is gonna go the right back up. Condition comes back. Yeah. So how effective is take now? Don't get me wrong. The medication serves a purpose. Let it lower the blood pressure to get the person out of crisis, so they don't have to worry about having a stroke. But then come see somebody like me who can address the underlying re reason for why you have high blood pressure, so that you don't need the medication. And if your doctor won't take you off of it, I'll refer you to a pharmacist who will. Yeah, no, and I think that's I think that's a a, a, a really good point in sort of putting this all all together that. You know, for people that are that are suffering, that are not feeling well, and one of the main reasons we want to bring you on is for people to understand there are alternatives. Mm -hmm. Don't necessarily um, take. Um, you know, it's hard to say it that way. Just don't don't give up. There's a solution. There's somebody out there that could possibly help you um, get better, feel better, um, and that's why it's important. Like again, something we touched on very briefly is that, you know, Dr. Rick lives in Georgia and he comes up once a month to Newburgh and you and I had a conversation one time. You'd sort of let me know. I'm just like, I'm curious, why, why do you continue to take a week of, 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 of your month every month to come up here to Newburgh to see patients? And what you said to me was, you know, pretty profound and pretty formal. You said you couldn't, you had been treating people, up here for 25 plus yeah, it was years. 25, 26 years before I moved to Georgia. Yep. And as somebody who is in a field to help people feel better, you felt an obligation to continue to come up here. Yeah. If people have put their trust in me and what I do, and we develop very personal relationships, I know more about a person's personal life other than their condition. Now, I was taught in school that's not appropriate. But I think that's one of the things that endears my patients to me and me to my patients is the fact that we actually have a relationship. It's not necessarily doctor-patient, although that's part of the relationship, but you're a person. You're a human. I've, I've had so many patients over the years say to me, Dr. Rick, you're so much...